From pedestrian-only roads to restaurant streeteries, the pandemic sparked changes in how city residents live. But will the pandemic create a long-lasting shift in urban priorities? Or will sidewalk dining rooms disappear with the return of full capacity? I'm Luke Garrett. And I'm Loris Vitalniak. This week, we spoke with faculty director of the Georgetown University Global Cities Initiative, Professor Uwe Brandes, who walks us through what city planning is, how the pandemic jump-started new ways to organize urban areas, and whether streeteries and pedestrian-only roads are here to stay. So to start, could you give a brief overview of what you do and what city planning is? I know many of our listeners might not really know what that means. Why city's already built? What do you mean city planning? It's already planned. So first of all, thanks for having me here. So what is city planning? Well, I think the traditional understanding of city planning is that it's the process of coordinating the construction of new buildings and new infrastructure in cities. But there are two important ways in which the profession of city planning has been changing over recent decades. One is a really intense focus on communities and thinking about cities, not just as a collection of buildings and streets and infrastructure, but thinking about cities from the perspective of communities, this city of people. And then the second responds directly to your point, and that is that When we think about cities, we're not just thinking about building new cities in virgin territory or virgin Mm -hmm. sites. We're really thinking about the evolution of cities and the way in which cities change over time. And that means engaging with existing cities, thinking about how buildings and public spaces can be repurposed, re-energized, reimagined in order to be best positioned to support the advancement of communities and society as communities and societies continue to change. And I imagine someone with this kind of background was busy during the pandemic because we saw an infrastructure trying to adapt. One of the more salient examples that I think people interacted with on a day-to-day basis were municipalities turning parking lots into dining areas to allow for more outdoor seating. But some areas in the D.C. region are keeping the so-called streeteries even after COVID restrictions are easing. Yeah, we actually caught up with DC Council Member Mary Che, who is chair of the Committee on Transportation and the Environment. She says there's legislation making its way through DC Council. That bill was referred to the Committee on Economic Development, and certainly prior to October 5th, we will take it up as a council. And exactly what form it takes may remain to be seen, but I would hope that we allow a way to do this permanently. So Professor Brandis, what is the precedent for these city features and why did it take a pandemic to bring them about? That's a big question. Let me just say that for some time now, especially over the last two decades, there's been a really wonderful, very dynamic, innovative, creative conversation about rediscovering cities. And so we come at this, especially at the pandemic, with some good tailwinds of thinking about the city in creative terms. But to your point, the pandemic has been an extraordinary shock to all of us and has been a crisis that has required both pragmatic decision-making in the real time, as well as an opportunity to kind of reimagine what our own societal values are uh, that relate to to urban life. And so it's been an especially intense period of innovations that you have already started to describe around the reallocation of space in streets, certainly the 
growing and very widely held values associated with public parks. These are all things that have gained tremendous momentum during the period of the pandemic. So I think it's a really exciting time. I don't think there are simple answers. And I think there are a lot of really important community dialogues that will be necessary in order to create more sustainable, lasting solutions. You mentioned parks, and DC Council is also pushing for the upper portions of Beach Drive and Rock Creek Park to be closed to cars uh, indefinitely. Councilmember Che is also spearheading this effort. I think that our eyes have been open to different ways that we use our public spaces and the Park Service makes the decision on this, but our residents are the ones who have been benefited by it. And the number of people using Upper Beach Drive was phenomenal. People really liked it. It shouldn't just be like a super highway for people in neighboring jurisdictions to race downtown. It should be part of the enjoyment of the park. And it's really hard to do that when cars are whizzing by. So as a city planner, how do you look at this push for a pedestrian-only byway? Is this only a debate between cars versus people? What are your thoughts? Well, it's definitely more complicated than that. Listen, I mean, the environmental community and people interested in urban ecology have been advocating for this for literally decades. I mean, so this is not a new idea. But on the other hand, as I, I was just saying, pandemic established a backdrop for some action. And that was partly due to the fact that commuting levels were really down since the downtown was locked down. People were working from home. It was like an easy thing to do during the pandemic to shut down parts of Beach Drive. I think moving forward, we have to broaden the conversation and be comfortable engaging in more complexity around, you know, this kind of issue. There are many shades of gray, many different alternatives that might be explored that overcome a binary perspective on this. It's not just cars versus people. It's the times of day. It's maybe even the times of the year. Maybe parts of Beach Drive can be open only for a couple of hours a day to vehicles, but for the rest of the day, not be open to those vehicles. And then furthermore, that I think, you know, we do have to go back and look at some of these underlying arguments around ecology and begin to make decisions around what we really value in cities. And if we want to create greater ecological integrity of our parks, especially our large parks like Rock Creek Park, but other parks in the region as well, then, you know, we have to change the way we've done things in the past. And so maybe that will be encouraging people to take public transportation more than they have in the past and basically allowing these large parks to really function more on an ecological basis and less so as a commuting corridor. Moving from outside to inside, we've talked in this podcast before about how people change their priorities when it came to space, both wanting to live somewhere bigger because they were stuck there and not prioritizing office space as much because they weren't going in. How has this impacted city planning and development when people's priorities are so firmly realigning? I have never seen this kind of alignment between consumers choosing the preferences that they want to employ in cities with corporate HR strategies, with broader public policy debates around commuting, carbon reduction, climate change, other environmental issues, not to mention, of course, infrastructure investment conversations and what the proper degree of infrastructure investment should be in the region and how you pay for it. 
these things are like aligned in a way that is unprecedented from my perspective, really interesting and also complex, right? There's a really diverse set of goals that we need to, and, and really a diverse set of opportunities that we need to shape within the region. And some of that will be decision-making that happens within private organizations and trying to figure out their HR strategies. But then there are also public impacts associated with those. And so it's a really exciting time to be engaged in this. The pandemic also had some pretty stark adverse effects on the lower rungs of our economic population. So what role does city planning have in addressing these wealth, housing, and quality of life disparities that were really highlighted and deepened during the pandemic? And are there any projects on the horizon or ideas that are worth noting? The challenges around socioeconomic inequality in our region and in so many other cities are definitely wicked problems that are not easily solved. So let's start with just jobs, because I think that's really important. I mean, there are entire industries, and especially in our region, our reliance on the hospitality industry and on business convenings and tourism is so important. It's a big slice of our regional economy, and we've got a long way to go to restore that. So we have to use this moment to innovate and think about new paradigms of economic development. And I think housing is really challenging right now because I think we're in a place in the housing market that we've never really been before. And on the one hand, we've seen an incredible strength in the single family housing market, which has further exacerbated what was already uh, a housing affordability crisis. So now we really have an incredibly acute crisis on our hand. And across the region, we see really positive efforts to further build capacity within the affordable housing marketplace. But these are not problems that can be easily solved overnight. I mean, this is like really finding a balance between supply and demand across the region and individual jurisdictions. And most notably, I think the District of Columbia is doing an extraordinary job in finding ways to allocate public resources for the provision of additional affordable housing. So this is all the work of city planners. I think one of the exciting things about city planning is that it's not just, you know, writing reports and putting them on a shelf, but really getting engaged in these issues. And maybe should have started with this is that, you know, we have to remind ourselves that Various city planning practices, including zoning and the manner in which entitlements have been organized in the past, have really contributed to the legacy of both economic and racial segregation in our region. So as kind of mindful city planners working on these real-time and definitely short-term problems, we also have to have the long view and think about how we're growing together as a region in a more equitable and inclusive way. I realized throughout this, we've kind of been asking you to play the role of Karnak the Magnificent and tell us where things are going to go, predict the future, predict trends. But seeing as that's a really big part of city planning, what are you keeping your eye on regarding city planning? What do you think we have in the near, medium, far future to look forward to? As you know, in our system, in our society, you know, city planning happens as a form of public engagement. And so I'll just start off on a process note, and that is that it is more important now than ever for people to get involved in thinking about the future of their community, thinking about 
you know, what they want their community to do for them and conversely, what they can do to help their community. So I think it's a time, a wonderful moment of opportunity to really get in the conversation and shape outcomes. But there are also some other massive, you know, disruptions that we continue to live with that are important to engage over the, this next year as we kind of try to return to some form of new normal. One of the major issues, of course, is climate change. We live in a very progressive region where all of our jurisdictions have come out with appropriately aggressive goals on climate change. But now we need to roll up our sleeves and figure out how we're going to actually achieve them. And so we can't just sit around and talk about these things. We have to really work at all levels and, you know, very local levels, certainly at the kind of neighborhood and municipal level, and also as a region to really figure out how we're going to decarbonize our regional economy. And we have got a lot more work to do there. But we already know whether it's increase in precipitation, certainly increase in, in heat, that the effects of climate change are, are hitting us as well. This is something that we can no longer just discuss in the abstract. This has very local impacts and there are very local opportunities that we need to seize in order to come to terms with this. And then I'll just throw another third one out there, which I think everybody knows it's kind of obvious, but it continues to disrupt our society. And that is just the information revolution in, in general. I mean, we are digitizing our communities in a really sophisticated way. And I think as we go about doing this, we need to be really intentional that we are creating the kind of local economies that we really want. And I think also similar to climate change, I think people look at that as some like abstract thing that's happening outside of their communities. But in fact, it is being shaped by the decisions that people make with respect to how they live in their communities. On July 8th, Associate Director at the National Park Service, Julia Washburn, presented two proposals for Upper Beach Drive. The first is what we call the no action concept. The National Park Service will go back to managing Beach Drive as it has since the late 1960s. The second concept is to extend the former weekend and holiday configuration to also include weekdays. But the Park Service is still open to ideas. They are inviting the public to submit their thoughts online or at 202-640-1187. Moving downtown, construction to make Black Lives Matter Plaza a permanent art installation will begin later today. The mural spelling Black Lives Matter down 16th Street will be on brick pavers, and there will be a dedicated pedestrian plaza throughout the center of the street with car lanes on either side. This episode was hosted and produced by me, Laura Spitalniak, and me, Luke Garrett. Our cover art was created by cartoonist Audrey Garrett, and our music is courtesy of Locksbeat. Join us next Monday as the world reopens.